Welcome in. Good to have you. Two o'clock on a Wednesday. Uh, I, what we're seeing out of Grand Blank is just brutal, by the way. The tornado that, that touched down uh, doing some serious damage. Uh, uh, the the thunder, the lightning last night was insane, in at least in, in my neck of the woods in southwest Oakland County. It was nuts. Look, I sleep, I, I sleep, I can sleep through a war. I, you could hit me over the head with a baseball bat, and I'm not going to wake up. Last night, I woke up. My whole house shook for like 30 seconds. It was nuts. So uh, pretty crazy. And it was really, I don't even know if it was raining at the time, but it was around midnight. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty wild. Uh, in the meantime, we are post primary day here in the state of Michigan. And I'm, I'm, I, I want to ask you some questions coming up a little later this hour, but, but I, We'll throw them out here, give, give you an opportunity to kind of chew on them. Donald Trump won the primary yesterday on the Republican side of things by, by 40 percentage points. Uh, he was able to pick up 12 of the 16 delegates that were up for grabs through the Republican primary. The rest will be awarded via a caucus inside the Republican Party. That'll happen this Saturday. But... What we saw at the Democratic side of things, Joe Biden, of course, won the primary with 80 percent of the votes. He gets 115 delegates. He missed out on two. And he missed out on two because of the campaign to vote uncommitted that a number of current lawmakers, former lawmakers were, were backing. Rashida Tlaib got behind this push. Former Congressman uh, Andy Levin also got behind this push. And at the end of the day, over 100,000 people voted uncommitted. Now, you may think, well, that's not really that significant when another 600 and almost 20 people voted for Joe Biden. It's true. And I'm not necessarily saying that things are apples to apples or you can directly correlate what happened in 2020 to 2024. But Joe Biden won the state of Michigan by 150,000 votes. 101,000 people voted uncommitted yesterday. So even if you were to straight up vote for vote, Biden, Trump again, yeah, Biden would win the state of Michigan. But that feels unlikely. It feels unlikely for a number of reasons, whether it's Joe Biden's, you know, perceived mental health or, uh, health issues or the job on the the southern border, whatever it is, whatever the outliers in your mind are. It seems unlikely that it would be a straight up vote again. And Donald Trump on the other side, legal issues, uh, you know, people don't maybe you don't like Trump. Maybe you don't like the way he is, whatever it is. Whatever that characteristic trait politically or personally is, doesn't feel like it's a straight up vote comparable to 2020. But that feels like if I'm a Democrat, it's a little too close for comfort for me that you've got 100,000 people in the state that are willing to back away from Joe Biden. Now, what if those people just don't vote? Something to think about.
What if they just sit it out? Certainly a, 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 a huge help to Donald Trump in the state of Michigan. But what do you take out of these primary results? What do you take out of out of Donald Trump beating Nikki Haley by 40 points? And what do you take of this uncommitted vote with Joe Biden? We'll get to it a little later in this hour. I just want to give you an opportunity to think about it a little bit. And look, I, I'd love to hear who you voted for. If you'd like to share that information, it's a personal for a lot of folks. But if you'd like to share who you voted for and why, I'd love to hear it. Uh, also, some big news today. Mitch McConnell is stepping down as the Senate Minority Leader come November. Just turned 82 last week. Has served since 1985 in the Senate. Uh, He said, one of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today to say that this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. Now, he does say that he will continue to serve out the rest of his term because that's what the people of Kentucky uh, uh, voted on him to do, which I believe is till 2026 is when his term expires. But he's going to be stepping away from power in November. And I think that this brings up another interesting point. First of all, the Republicans need new leadership. They need a revamp. Uh, and and I think that now it's going to be a good time for, for somebody like Mitch McConnell to step aside from a leadership perspective. So he'll still be in the Senate. He'll still be one of the Republicans that are, that are, are, are counted in the tally, but he won't be in, in, he won't hold any sort of leadership role or power role. So th- that's an interesting aspect of itself. But but it brings up, I think, to the light once again, as the president visited Walter Reed today for his annual physical. It brings up this other this question again about age. And I, I, I do resent the fact a little bit that people talk about the age of the president. It's not necessarily the age. Yes, generally, the older you get, things start to things start to to falter, right? Your memory isn't as good as it once was. Your physical fitness isn't as good as it once was. It's but my problem with labeling it as an age issue is it's it's not directly correlated with everybody. Just because somebody's 80, 81, 82 years old, not every 81 and 82 year old is the same. Some are going some are running marathons. Some are not. Some have a hard time remembering who the president or where Mexico is on a map. Doesn't mean it's just an age thing. It's more of a of a health capacity issue. And Mitch McConnell has had his issues. Mitch McConnell has had issues of you know the deer in the headlights as he's giving a speech, unable to communicate at times, as he is, you know, asked questions in this kind of met what, what what appears to be a meditative state but there just isn't a whole lot there so i think it's a it's an interesting look at republicans in mitch mcconnell in this case stepping aside saying it's time to move on time for me to to take another uh, path here but then republicans are going to have to find somebody else to take on that leadership role 
Republicans are going to have to find that next leader. And that has been a, a common complaint amongst people, voters, people I know. You hear it all the time. Well, how is this our how are these our options? How how is candidate A and candidate B our best options? And then you look at a presidential primary, and there really isn't any legitimate candidate on those stages. Right? I mean, you you think Tim Scott's gonna be something that the Republican Party can can count on and, and be that next generation of leadership wasn't the case. You might be able to to say, well, oh, look at Chris Christie. He's got a ton of, of experience. Nope. Even somebody like Ron DeSantis, who many conservatives would say, uh, you know, politically, ideologically, he does everything we want him to do. But there is a there is a flaw that people see. You know, I always thought he was too robotic. He just was too manufactured. It wasn't genuine at all. And then, you know, you, you you look at Donald Trump, who is older, certainly has, you know, he, he, he will say things that are not correct from time to time. It's not at the same it's not at the same rate as Joe Biden, but it's there, too. So I, it's an interesting look at to what these parties are thinking right now, but maybe not the White House, maybe not the Democratic Party. Because they are looking at Joe Biden as an as a way to maintain that power seat in the White House. All right, we got to take a break. Speaking of the White House, speaking of Joe Biden, Hunter Biden today being deposed in Congress. We'll talk about it next on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Hunter Biden testifying today to House lawmakers on Capitol Hill. As the impeachment inquiry trudges on to see if, in fact, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, had any sort of improper connection to Hunter Biden business dealings. Uh, You remember this came to a head in December. Hunter Biden was supposed to show up to that closed door hearing and showed up to the steps of the Capitol and then left. That uh, prompted House Republicans to hold Hunter Biden in contempt for evading a subpoena for that closed door testimony. Uh, But today he showed up for that deposition. Let's break it all down. Stephen Newcomb's a congressional reporter with Axios, and he joins us. Stephen, good to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So what what is the, the the at the heart of today's questioning by House Republicans that 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 they're trying to get to the bottom to. Yeah. I mean, look, Hunter, Hunter Biden has taken a, a central role in this investigation. Um, and really what house lawmakers, house Republicans are, are trying to establish what they've been trying to establish for, uh, the better part of a year is whether, as you said, the president, uh, benefited from, uh, his, his family's overseas business deals, uh, Hunter, um, had a number of business deals in, in Ukraine and China and, and uh, you know, sort of a sprawling business, business interests uh, in, in some uh, countries uh, around the world. Um, and a readout of, you know, his, his opening statement, Hunter Biden's opening statement from the, his testimony today uh, leaked out. And um, he says, as many other witnesses in this probe have said, that he did not involve his father in his business deals. 
um, his father as vice president, as president, and as a, a private citizen did not did not play any role in his business interests around the world. James Comer, uh, the, the chair of the House Oversight Committee, who's questioning Hunter Biden today, uh, said that he can't say what officials of official actions Joe Biden took on behalf of the family business dealings. And that's part of what they're trying to get to. But he also said that he's trying to they, they want to wrap up this investigation. Does that mean that we are nearing a decision on whether or not to bring impeachment uh, proceedings against Joe Biden? I think we are nearing that decision. They've they've signaled that they, they want to get this wrapped up. Um, you know, around February, March, uh, and, and but there's also speculation. You know that that they could hang this investigation over the the president uh, as we go forward into November and, and closer to the the general election when he 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 will face off uh, most likely against former President Donald Trump. But all indications in our reporting shows that they they do want to to wrap this up uh, relatively soon, and and whether that concludes in articles of impeachment or not is is still yet to be seen. I've heard Republicans who have told me that not bringing articles of impeachment against President Biden at this juncture after a year of investigating him uh, would essentially be exonerating him months before a presidential election. And uh, that that's that's a worry on the Republican side. Uh, so so we'll have to see what decision they come to over the next weeks and, and months. Meanwhile, Jamie Raskin seems to be taking the, the lead for the Democrats on this. He's the ranking member in the, in the mm-hmm. Oversight Committee. Uh, he, he basically came out and said that th- this, this spectacle that the Republicans were peddling, uh, it, the, the reason they wanted to do it behind closed doors is because they knew that what they had was, was bogus. They had bupkis. Meanwhile, uh, y- you've got Republicans saying that they're just trying to keep things under wraps because of the investigation that's ongoing. Who's right here? Who, 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 where do we get the indication that, that either the left or the right is, is on the right track here? Yeah, I think, and as is uh, the case in Washington a lot of times, there's a little bit of truth on both sides uh, of that argument. Um, I mean, Republicans have, have done closed-door depositions and and they have released the recordings of those depositions soon thereafter for for a number of the uh and and released the transcripts for a number of of those um interviews but we've also seen uh before a transcript was released if they did a closed door deposition that uh republicans would would come out from that interview and distort and twist and sort of uh take that testimony and and turn it into a pretzel to to somehow uh, make it look damning or or damaging to the White House, so I think that there's a little bit of truth on on both sides of this. Like you said, Hunter Biden wanted a public hearing initially. Uh, he he demanded uh, that it would be a public hearing, but finally, after weeks of negotiation, he he ended up uh, behind behind closed doors today, testifying to. to to lawmakers and impeachment investigators. What, what do you make of this this story of the FBI investor, the, the the FBI member who who basically came out yeah. and was found that the his 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 information that he was giving was bogus. It was it was not credible, uh, and in, and in fact the the bureau has has held him to account uh, because of that. How, mm-hmm. how how big of a wrench does this throw into Republicans' investigations? Uh, and and does the the Hunter Biden camp, the Joe Biden camp, feel like there's a certain bit of exoneration yeah. here? 
Yeah. Well, if you if you talk at them publicly, they'll they'll say that this you know that those allegations were were not all that important or a central part of the investigation. Uh, but privately, um, if, if you talk to Republicans, I mean, I've talked to Republicans who have, it's a huge embarrassment. And in and, 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 and an investigation that has been full of, uh, you know, interviews that have fallen flat on their faces and uh, information that didn't turn out to be what, what it was uh, trumped up to be, that, when, when that indictment dropped, when it, when it turned out that that FBI informant had been lying to, to uh uh, federal agents. I mean, that was one of the most um, damning moments uh, for Republicans so far in this investigation. So it's it's a huge deal. Um, it's something that Republicans are obviously trying to do damage control on. Um, but but it's a huge deal, and it and it goes to the the core allegations of one of the 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 things that they've been chasing is the idea that uh, then Vice President Biden was implicated in a bribery scheme and. Uh, in Ukraine, and, and it turns out that the person who was funneling uh, that information to to the FBI was was lying to uh, federal agents. So back in December, when Hunter Biden showed up to 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 Capitol Hill to testify, and then and then left, uh, mm-hmm. Nancy Mace uh, was uh, uh, in, in that meeting said, you're the epitome of white privilege coming into the oversight committee, spitting in our face, ignoring a congressional subpoena to be deposed. What are you afraid of? There was a report today in CNN just uh, about 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, that said Hunter Biden went over to Nancy Mace and shook her hand and to and, and, and allegedly said, according to people, uh, sources inside that room and said that to say that he is not evil. What 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 would uh, what would what prompt Hunter Biden to make such an action, do you think? Well, Hunter Biden, we've seen as this investigation has gone forward, he is someone who wants to fight back. Um, he has been more aggressive. His legal strategy has been more aggressive. His PR strategy has been more aggressive over the past few months. Um, and Republicans, uh, independent of the investigation, if you go back to the the 2020 election and, and the campaign, Hunter Biden was front and center. His drug addiction and his struggles with uh substance abuse and and you know other uh family issues were were out in plain sight mm. and uh his his team feels like he's been a punching bag uh for the GOP for mm. for too long and that he does he deserves the opportunity to fight back so he's been he's been very aggressive and sort of bringing it uh front and center to Republicans even showing up to that sure. hearing uh you know so it, he he is he's a uh He's the type of person, and the strategy has been uh, much more aggressive in the the last few months. Interesting stuff. Stephen Newcomb with Axios. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you. Appreciate you having me. Yep. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, so the primary is at least mostly behind us. Republicans have a caucus to figure out this weekend to finish off awarding their, their delegates. But Donald Trump with a big win here. And, And look, that's not a surprise beating Nikki Haley by 40 points. It, it's not a surprise. But, it, again, it, it just shores up where Donald Trump is. It shores up his position in, in, in winning the nomination and being able to officially run for president again. And Look, I, I, is Nikki Haley going to win a state? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't see that as a possibility. 
Now, if she wants to continue to, to hang around and and be that option, as she puts it, for people who don't want Joe Biden or or Donald Trump, okay. But it, it doesn't feel like it's a winning strategy. Now, for Democrats, Joe Biden yesterday won, surprising nobody. Except he did lose out on two delegates because 13% of people voted uncommitted. And I don't know really where that number is that I thought it would be. You know, I I thought maybe it would be 10%. So it did a little better than I thought it was going to be. But 100,000 people voted uncommitted. And again, not comparing apples to apples 2024 to 2020 where Joe Biden won the state of Michigan by, we'll call it 150,000 votes. Nice round numbers. If if 100,000 people sat out or didn't vote for Joe Biden in 2024, that would be a huge issue. And that's why I think the White House looks at what's happening here in Michigan as a real problem. It's why Joe Biden's campaign looks at what's happening in Michigan as a real problem. Because you cannot just hemorrhage 100,000 votes. You just can't and expect to 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 win a state, to win a state as important as Michigan is going to be. I'd love to get your thoughts on the primary numbers, kind of where we're at on this. Um, to me, I just don't see a path for Nikki Haley. And and I, I said this earlier this week. I just there there isn't. But she wants to hang around and, until potentially after Super Tuesday where I'm not sure she wins a state. And, you know, if you listen to my conversation with Donald Trump yesterday, you know, when I asked him about his court, his court cases and his legal issues, he said it only has helped his poll numbers, which is true. It has. So it just feels like Donald Trump gaining momentum and Joe Biden potentially losing voters. Could be an issue. 800-859-0957. Also, if you want to share who you voted for and why, I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you. Kind of why you, you voted the way you did. Again, a lot of people voted for Joe Biden. A lot of people voted for Donald Trump. But I'd love to get, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on why you cast your ballot the way you did in this primary. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. Dave in Rochester kicks us off today. Hello, Dave. Hey, Chris, how are you Good. today? Good. What's going on? Uh, yeah, first of all, a quick, quick correction of your characterization of Hunter Biden's December 13th arrival at the Capitol steps. Him and Abby Lowell were prepared to take James Comer up on the offer he made three weeks prior to that for either a public hearing of, uh, for the Oversight Committee or a, uh, a, a disposition. So they were prepared to go at that point. But getting back to your question at hand, uh, first, this is the third straight, all three Republican primaries now, all three of them. Trump has significantly underperformed his polling margin as far as the net margin victory by the average of all the polls, which is a normally fairly reliable, but he's outside the margin of error. The uh, 6.5, uh, New Hampshire shortfall, 7.3. South Carolina at 15.3. You know, he won by 41.6, but he was favored by 56.9. So they're all around 28% shortfall 
or 9.7 margin, if you just take a simple average, I think that portends the opposite phenomenon of what Trump had three cycles ago in 2016, where there was a shy Trump voter, and they outperformed actual votes to uh, polling averages, mm-hmm. such as Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. I think we got the opposite, where women are among their uh, Trump-heavy uh, family, friends, uh, co-workers, are, are uh, expressing to pollsters their uh, attention to vote. All right, but Trump, let me, but can, can I, can I throw a number out to you? Um, and again, it's sure. it's hard to apple and apples to apple comparison. But the la- last time we had a Republican GOP primary in the state of Michigan was 2016. In 2016, 1.3 million people came out to vote. Uh, yesterday, we had 1.1 million Republicans come out to vote in some fashion. So, I mean, the, they are coming out to vote. Like they did show up yesterday, pretty comparable to 2016. Yeah, no doubt the Trump voter is a uh, enthused, motivated voter. No, no question about that. I'm, I'm just saying this, this is not insignificant, and I don't really buy my earlier strategy that this is strategic crossover voting, which you know for primary as a, it doesn't show up in other polls. Or the other exit polling, as far as the Democrats accounting for much of these, hmm. much of these differences compared to polling. Secondly, real quick, uh, it, as you pointed out, it was 154,000 last time. I mean, do the math. I think a worst case scenario, uh, 251 days from now, he he loses 50 percent as far as not voting for Biden that otherwise would vote. I mean, he's still a comfortable 100,000, slightly over 100,000 margin, all other things being equal compared to 2020. Well, but yeah, but that, that's that's I mean, you're taking into account that everything stays status quo as it is today, which is unlikely. I mean, it's it's unlikely that things stays exactly as they are today. I mean, if they don't get this ceasefire done that 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 he's been talking about, it's going to it's going to continue to anger the Arab and Muslim community here in Michigan. So, yeah, I mean, it's possible. Again, it's it's hard to make those comparisons when there's a lot of outliers still at play. Dave, I appreciate the call. Let's go to Bill in Ann Arbor. What's up, Billy? Well, I think you kind of covered my uh, my comment, but uh, the, what I was doing is an observation that Republicans came out to the tune of over a million people that actually went in and cast a vote, mm-hmm. whereas the Democrats were roughly, and I, you you probably know the math exactly, were roughly around. 750, 800,000, I think. Yep, we'll just call Uh, it 760. So, which which makes me wonder, uh, are we going to come out, Republicans going to come out and support in in the elections? Uh, I hope so, to that same type of percentage. If that's the case, uh, I could see us, you know, carrying, uh, Trump carrying Michigan. Uh, I just hope that holds true. but uh, I think that uh, as far as the uncommitted, uh, uncommitted are the ones that voted in the Democratic um, uncommitted. I, I don't think uh, you might as well consider them as a lost vote. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Bill, I think probably what's what's more happening here, why you saw more Republicans out. I mean, Nikki Haley is actively campaigning. Nikki Haley is actively running for president, running, running for the GOP nomination. Um and and whether you want to say she's doing it effectively or not is not the, the, the point. The point is she is 
running a campaign currently. I mean, Marianne Williamson is out. Dean Phillips is a non-factor. And and it's Joe Biden on the ticket. So, I, I mean, it's difficult to say that from these numbers, at least in my opinion, uh, that that Republicans are more motivated. I just think that that there are there are two candidates on the Republican side of things that are running campaigns and and trying to actively court voters. So it just it feels like there was a little bit more of a choice on the Republican ticket may, as opposed to maybe the Democratic ticket. All right, we'll get to more of your calls, your texts coming up next on the primary as we continue on JR Afternoon. Hey, by the way, coming up at 3.05, I've got some Jim Gaffigan tickets to give away for you. He'll be here November 22nd uh, at the Fox Theater. And uh, we'll give you those tickets uh, uh, coming up at 3.05. I actually have two pairs to give away. We'll do one at 3.05 and one probably at 3.48 uh, when we welcome in Steve Courtney. So lots of lots of to get to today. Uh, we're talking about the primary, and if you want to uh, tell me who you voted for, why I'd love to hear it. Um, and I, I think when I look at these numbers, I feel my read on it, my opinion on it, is that Joe Biden's got an issue, and this issue that a hundred thousand people voted uncommitted. This isn't just you know. It takes a, a, a lot to organize uh, this type of, of action. It takes a lot to get 100,000 people to do anything. It's, it's impossible for me to get two people in my house to do anything. Granted, they're five and two, but it's impossible. It's, it's very difficult to get 100,000 people to do something together. And it, it's what you saw yesterday. 100,000 people voted uncommitted. And this is, that, this is that delegate protest because Joe Biden hasn't been strong enough against what Israel is doing in, in Gaza. Uh, Joe Biden hasn't forcefully called for a ceasefire strongly enough. And so this was the pushback. And the Biden campaign has, has tried on a couple of different occasions to schedule meetings with people in in Dearborn, members of the Arab and Muslim community to try to sort this thing out, try to try to hear their side. And on a couple of occasions they've canceled. And so it creates this animus between a voting group and a candidate. It creates the animus between a voting group and a candidate in a very important state. A very important swing state. Look, I I don't want to oversell us because we love we love the state of Michigan. We we love being Michiganders, but it feels very much like Michigan is going to be at the center of the political universe until November. Michigan is look. I don't think anybody's going to be able to win the presidency without winning Michigan. So there's going to be a lot of attention and priority paid to Michigan. So when you have 100,000 people in the state that maybe perhaps at one time voted for you and now aren't, that's a problem. It's also a problem if if that animosity or that 
that feeling that Joe Biden isn't doing enough, if that feeling continues to linger for some people, and it, and and this this feeling, this movement, this effort to try to undermine Joe Biden because of of his thoughts on and stance on what's happening in, in Gaza, if that continues to linger and grow from a hundred thousand, well, then you've got a real issue. That could be the difference of winning the state of Michigan. Joe Biden won the state of Michigan by 150,000 votes in 2020. You had 100,000 defectors yesterday. Now, look, I'm not saying that these people are going to totally sit on the sideline. I'm not saying these people aren't going to eventually vote for Joe Biden. It's not my point. My point is the possibility exists for some folks that they are not going to participate or they're not going to vote for Joe Biden. So it'll be very interesting to see how this continues to manifest, how this continues to to just grow or retract that particular movement. When it comes to Republicans, look, Nick, Nikki Haley has no path. It, it At least that's my opinion. You know, Donald Trump just continues to get stronger and stronger. Donald Trump uh, has not lost a primary or a caucus. And I don't see a way that he loses a state going forward. I don't know how Nikki Haley's going to win one state on Super Tuesday. I it, it, She got blown out in her home state by 20 points. Feels like a pretty difficult road to travel if you're Nikki Haley. Love to get your thoughts. 800-859-0957. Charlie's in Clarkston. Hello, Charlie. Yeah, hi, Chris. How you doing? I'm good, bud. I just wanted to set the record straight. Uh, Biden did win by 150,000 votes in 2020. However, there were almost 1,000 people that signed affidavits that they witnessed cheating going on, and many of them never got interviewed. So when the comment is made, uh, yeah, there were a lot of uh, people that said there was cheating, but we can't prove that. There has been no proof. Thank the you, Charlie. I, I, we, we've yeah. we've done this. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate it. Dave's in Westland. Hello, Dave. Hey, Chris. How hey. you doing? Good. Good. Thanks for taking my call. You know, I got to thinking about this right after that investigator that said Biden was old and crepit and bad memory and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to prosecute him. Well, Biden's come I, out I just want to you, you are paraphrasing, right? Because <laughs> that's not quite yeah, exactly yeah. what he said. Okay, all right, fair enough. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. Okay, fair enough. Keep it short. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even Biden's come out and says there's nothing wrong with my mental capacity. The Democratic Party says there's nothing wrong with Joe Biden. So why isn't he being prosecuted? Yeah, yeah. That that's that was the that was the mental gymnastics that day that I thought was astounding. It would that, that that the the mental gymnastics that I saw on national news uh, uh, places like CNN, like MSNBC, the the vehemently defending of Joe Biden, and look, that's fine. That's what you want to do. That's great. That's what you see. You know the guy, the tremendous. But that's not what everybody else sees. And and so for you to to take that road, then if that's the road you want to take on, then then charge him. Then yeah. recommend the charges. And let's go. But the reality is, is they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. The mental gymnastics are fun for me and you maybe to watch at home and laugh and, 
you know, eat our popcorn. But but the American people see it. You see it. Like, if you're not even I want you to just take anytime you see Joe Biden, whatever your political leaning is, just take it away. I want you to look just un, uh, unfiltered and watch. And and tell me that is somebody that doesn't fit Robert Hur's description. Outside of that, though, the mental gymnastics of trying to prove that he's okay, but the reason he wasn't charged was because they thought he wasn't okay. Like it's it's something else. It really is. It's 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 something. All right, we'll get to more of your calls, your texts coming up next. Uh, we got to take a break. I do have tickets to give away. Jim Gaffigan. Coming to town this year, we've got tickets for you at 3.05. Also, we're going to talk to Matt Whitaker this hour. He's the former uh, acting U.S. Attorney General under Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump going down to the southern border. We'll talk about the importance of that trip, why it matters, as we continue on here on JR Afternoon. All right, 3 o'clock hour, 3.05. I need you to be caller number 9. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0957. Comedian superstar Jim Gaffigan brings his Barely Alive tour to Detroit's Fox Theater Friday, November 22nd. And we've got a pair of tickets for you. Just need you to be caller number 9, 800-859-0957. For a bonus chance to win, text keyword FUNNY to 800-859-0957. Official rules can be found at WJR.com. Tickets are on sale starting at 10 a.m. this Friday, March 1st, at Ticketmaster.com. All right, we got a lot to do today. Still, as we break down the day after the Michigan primary, a little earlier in the calendar this year because Democrats moved it up, and Republicans now have the, the, the task of carrying out a caucus Late uh, later this week, in fact, into the weekend on Sunday. To award the remaining delegates, 16 were given yesterday. Donald Trump winning uh, 12, Nikki Haley earning four. And we're, we're my questions about the primary are. As 100,000 people voted uncommitted against Joe Biden, that's 13 percent of the vote from from yesterday who voted Democrat. My question is, is that concerning for Joe Biden? Because I absolutely think it does. I I think it is. I think it's concerning when you consider the fact that in 2020, Joe Biden won by 150,000 votes. And we are still months away from November, months away from casting your presidential ballot. But we still don't have a ceasefire. And many in the Arab and, and Muslim communities that have been calling for this ceasefire are the ones that are voting uncommitted. They're the ones that are sitting out on Joe Biden. And so I don't I don't know how else you look at it. To me, it's a big deal because Michigan's a must win. I don't I don't know that you're able to win the presidency in 2024 without winning Michigan. And maybe that's a little pompous. Maybe that's a little big headed uh, because. Uh, you know, my view of Michigan is is very high. And when you consider the swing states that are going to be on the board, you know, the president's from Pennsylvania. So does that 
take Pennsylvania off the board. I, I think you're going to need Michigan to win. I think you're absolutely going to need Michigan to win amongst the swing states. So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Also, Hunter Biden testi- testifying today to the House Oversight Committee. James Comer chairs it. Jamie Raskin, uh, second in command there. Here's what I've been able to gather so far from, from these hearings. Is that Hunter Biden is going directly after the GOP. Right after him. Saying that they don't have evidence to back up their accusations that the president is guilty of some sort of corruption as it relates to his business dealings. He also called the Republicans' pursuit of this investigation, this impeachment investigation, baseless and destructive political charade. Uh, He said it was built on an entire partisan house of cards on lies. He acknowledged, though, that he had made mistakes, pointing to his battle with addiction. He also is facing tax and gun charges stemming from David Weiss's investigation in, in, in Delaware. And so trying to take a pragmatic approach to attacking the GOP in this, in this impeachment investigation. Also, you've got Democrats coming out in, in, in breaks in the, in the testimony. You've got Republicans coming out in breaks of the testimony. And depending on who you want to listen to, you're, you're getting a very different tale. The messaging is quite different. Republicans come out and say that this impeachment inquiry will continue, that they're ready to start the process of closing the probe, and that, that they feel like there is something there. There is there there. Whereas Democrats come out and say, well, Hunter Biden wanted to testify publicly. Republicans didn't want that. They wanted it behind closed doors where they could change the narrative. They could they could they could control the narrative. And that there just is the the there there isn't there. The fact that Joe Biden said hello to one of Hunter Biden's friends who is a powerful business person in a foreign country. The fact that he got on the phone and said hello on speakerphone isn't unusual. If you're with other people at dinner and and you put them on speakerphone, which I'm not sure why you would, and you say, oh, say hello to Jimmy. He's in Ukraine working at Burisma. Did you say hello? Pop, say hello. You know, just I don't I don't know. I don't know how that totally jives with. But this is now at least ahead of now that the committee can actually talk with Hunter Biden and and they can get to the bottom of this. But certainly I think James Comer saying that they could be bringing this impeachment inquiry or or the impeachment investigation to an end, uh, I think is pretty interesting. Brian, have you seen any update on the president's physical today at Walter Reed? I have not seen anything yet. No, they keep saying they're going to come out and talk about it, but nobody's been out to talk about it Okay, has Corinne Jean-Pierre come out yet? No. Okay. All right. So we await the news of the president's 
physical today at Walter Reed. I didn't like how some news outlets were labeling it as uh, a surprise trip to Walter Reed. It's a it's his yearly physical. I think he had it in February of last year as well. Um, what some outlets, I think Fox News was saying it. Uh, I saw in the New York Post as well that it wasn't on the agenda that news outlets get that yeah. reporters get. Yeah. And so the fact that it wasn't on the agenda for the day for the president, that that it was a surprise visit and that maybe something is, is really wrong. But the president today walking out of the White House to, to Marine Force One said that he was just going for his, his physical at Walter Reed. Yeah, he's 100 years old. Old guys go to the doctor a lot, so not a surprise. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, also, uh, just rough scenes out of Grand Blank. Uh there is confirmation now, the National Weather Service confirming that an uh, EF2 tornado touched down in Grand Blanc overnight. Um, the survey found the tornado touched down in uh, Creasy uh, Bicentennial Park and remained on the ground for 5.7 miles, extending the path. Uh, the path to a width of 450 yards. Tornado was on the ground for approximately 10 minutes. Wind speeds were at 115. Um, and and if you look at some of these pictures online, I mean, the the devastation is pretty it's pretty severe. Uh, 800-859-0957. Uh, I want to get to Gary in New Baltimore quickly on uh, the primary yesterday. Hello, Gary. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um. The reason I'm calling is I'm questioning this uncommitted. They were all Joe Biden's, but nobody was uncommitted towards Donald Trump. Uh, the uncommitted votes on the Republican side of things was 33,000 votes. It was 3%. Okay, 33. Okay, I didn't hear that, and I didn't see that on, on TV because I'm wondering. I, yeah, it's pretty insignificant. Yeah. Well, no, you know what? Not insignificant. A normal um, vote is about twenty five thousand uncommitted. A normal one. Mm-hmm. So it hitches up. But I was just, I, I didn't hear that, and I didn't see it on TV that it had been separated. So because I'm going, hey, I'm a Republican, and guess what? I didn't vote for. Him. You know. Yeah. Just, Who? That, that that that's why I was questioning. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. You know. Yep. And and his uncommitted is a little bit higher than what's normal. So. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Gary, I appreciate the call. No, and it's a fair it's a fair point. Um, and again, I, I look, it's not I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility that people don't want Donald Trump or Nikki Haley. Right. But they don't want Joe Biden. That's that's of course, that's real. There are real voters out there like that. So I have no doubt that there are people that are still trying to figure it out, just like on on the Democratic side of things. They're still trying to figure it out. To say that 100,000 people voting uncommitted isn't an issue, I, I just take exception to that. All right, we got to take a break. Former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker joins us next here on JR Afternoon. Just as a reminder, we have more Jim Gaffigan tickets for you coming up at 348. But, you know, it's if you're having car trouble, right, very rarely are you going to go open the trunk. Maybe. Maybe there's an issue back there, but you're probably going to go open the hood, right? You're going to go check out 
the the engine compartment, if the pistons are firing, if everything's good there, if you've got proper amounts of coolant. And I'm not really much of a car guy, but my point is you go to the, the epicenter of where the issues are or where the issues could be. It's what's interesting about these dual trips, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, both going down to the southern border tomorrow. Uh, from everything that I've seen, former President Donald Trump's uh, destined for Eagle Pass Station in the Del Rio sector. Yesterday, 511 apprehensions in one day, excuse me, Monday, 511 apprehensions at Eagle Pass. It has been one of the more uh, heavily trafficked stations across the southern border. President Joe Biden expected to visit the southern border as well, although he will be going to Brownsville, Texas. Brownsville, Texas, on the very same day, Monday, had 12 apprehensions. Now, not to say that these, these crossings can't be busy at separate times, but certainly, Brownsville doesn't seem uh, as as busy of a crossing as some of these other spots across the southern border. Former acting U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker joins me to help talk about this. It's good to have you, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. First of all, I'd like for you to kind of explain to me why we are seeing numbers across the southern border the way that we are. Because uh, certainly over the years they have climbed and climbed and climbed, and now we're, we're gonna we're into record-breaking territory. Why are we seeing so many people cross the border illegally? Well, I mean, ultimately it's word of mouth. I mean, we had it closed in the Trump administration, and uh, Joe Biden publicly declared that the border was going to be open, and um, anybody who wanted to come would be allowed into our country. People took him at his word and then uh they called back home and said hey he was uh he was telling the truth so come on all you have to do you know and then there obviously we have the whole southern border is controlled by drug cartels that are now really good at human trafficking and smuggling illicit narcotics and all sorts of um uh things that uh, we don't want coming across our southern border so it's just it's a confluence of bad policies a lax enforcement and uh, just a recipe for complete and utter failure. But, you know, to your point about Joe Biden going to Brownsville, I just, um, of all the places he could go, I guess, just to get a photo op, I don't expect that he's going to fix it. And uh, Eagle Pass is where the action has been. It's where Governor Abbott has put in a lot of fortifications. And I think that's a more representative area um, for President Biden if he wanted to really see what was happening at the southern border. You know, it's one thing to have bad policy. Um, that's one issue, right? But the the issue that is hard for me to overlook is the 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 not enforcing the rules and the laws that we have we already have existing. That to me is is the egregious part in all of this. And I, I was listening to an interview with someone that was talking to somebody at the southern border, one of the 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 head CBP agents, and they said we don't need necessarily more money. We don't even necessarily need more bodies. We just have to be able to do our job and enforce the laws. And because we are not allowed to do that, we are hamstrung. In the, and, and, and that continues to be one of the weak points in, in, our, in one of the main protections of the southern border, our people. 
No, you're right. I mean, we have some really great members of uh, especially CBP and, uh, you know, ICE that if they were allowed to do their jobs, they could easily uh, help make a dent in the number of illegal crossings and bogus asylum claims we're seeing in our southern border. You know, there's at least seven authorities under the law that Joe Biden could use. He's not using most of them, and he actually rolled back their application uh, when he took over as president. And I think that's, you know, what's led to a lot of this. I mean, just ignoring the law, um, not using the powers the president already has under current law to stop uh, what's happening in our southern border. And that's obviously Mm. the world has heard that, and he just keeps doing it. I, I was listening to a, a Joe Rogan podcast with uh, with Dr. Phil, uh, ironically, who went down to the southern border and talked to some folks. And the the Chinese migrants that are coming across now are are off the charts. Uh, we've seen roughly a four thousand percent increase since twenty twenty one, and and what and and what was troubling from what Dr. Phil said he saw was that they were coming into the United States and they were buying farmland or buying property next to military installation bases. How prevalent is that? How big of an issue is that? I, you know, I don't want to paint with a broad brush. I'm sure people are coming over for other reasons, but but that seems to be like a like a real issue. Yeah, obviously there's some states that don't that that allow uh foreign uh nationals to own farmland and to own, you know, ag land and I, in my home state of Iowa, we have prohibited that um really for a long time. Um, but the, the short answer is, uh, I don't think anybody actually knows because the, the groups that are supposed to be monitoring this at USDA and uh, some of our state agriculture just to haven't been tracking, they haven't been paying attention. But, you know, the other thing you need to know about these Chinese nationals that illegal enter the United States is the Chinese will not take them back. Like they, so we end up with a bunch of people that are here illegally uh, that we can't deport because the the country of China won't take them back. I mean that's a that's a serious threat I think to our sovereignty. I mean at last count, and this was you know back when I was in the administration because I went to China to work on this and Sentinel and several other issues. Um, you know by last count, it's in the hundreds of thousands. Probably by now it's approaching a million people. So what are the answers here? How how what what needs to be done? in order to to shore this up because you know the 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 biden administration know that they've come around to using the word crisis they've come around to realizing that this is a much bigger issue probably because the american people are concerned about it now but but what 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 can be done here what needs to be done yeah i think it's pretty simple actually you get back as you know as an old football player in the big 10 you know you get back to the basic blocking and tackling of the mission and that is to um I think the Remain in Mexico policy needs to be immediately implemented where, you know, we accept asylum claims. Most of them are not granted ultimately after going to court, but the courts are so backed up now in some cases, six to eight years. So first of all, you could put Remain in Mexico. I think you also use some of the other authorities under 212 and under Title 42 and, and elsewhere to just make sure that, that the, the southern border is open for commerce, but closed for illegal immigration. And then you're going to the hardest thing, though, is going to be these 10 million plus people that are currently in our country uh, illegally that uh, we need to obviously come up with a program that sure. returns them to their home country sure. so that they can um, do it the right way and get in line. Kirk Ferentz going to fix that offense? 
<laughs> well, we got a new uh, offensive coordinator yeah. at Iowa, and you know it's the old Western Michigan <laughs> coach. We'll see if he uh, he can bring something. But as I often say, if we just had a average offense, we'd be pretty stout. Pretty good. Matt Whitaker, thanks so much. Appreciate the time as always. All right, thanks for your yep. time. Yep, Appreciate you got it. it. Uh, got to take a break. More coming to Max and JR afternoon. Don't go anywhere. You know, we make a a big deal about what's happening at the southern border, and rightfully so. I bring you this, though. A New York City man who admitted to smuggling three, not one, not two, but three Burmese pythons in his pants through a U.S.-Canadian border was sentenced uh, last week to a year of probation and fined $5,000, according to federal prosecutors. Calvin Bautista, a 38-year-old man, crossed into northern New York with the hidden snakes on a bus from Montreal. They were young adult snakes, and they were hidden in the inner thigh of his pants in snake bags tied to pants drawstrings. Wow. Sounds like... Good time. It ain't just fentanyl coming across the border. What? What is? What, what are we doing? What is the matter with people? Why are you bringing Burmese pythons across a border? Why do you have Burmese pythons? So we can breed them and then sell them. Duh. What? How much does a Burmese python go for? Probably nine hundred dollars. Based on what? How do you know that? I'm making this up. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, oh, here you go. Uh, purchased the snakes, which were worth more than 2500 bucks, at a reptile store in Canada. Wow. See, I was getting up there. Import, uh, importation of Burmese pythons is regulated by an internal uh, international treaty and by U.S. federal regulations listing them as injurious to human beings. Uh, it is one of the world's largest snakes and considered a valuable species in places like Asia. And they are in Florida. They're all over the place in, like, the Everglades. Uh, they actually have, like, hunters that go down and hunt Burmese pythons because they are they are uh, inc- uh, awful for the ecosystem, just awful. So, look, it's not just the southern border. It's, it's, it's the northern border, too. We have issues. We have people putting Burmese pythons in their pants and bringing them across the border. I just, just when you think, you know, I feel good about where people are. We've been pretty good lately. You get, you get the snake guy. It's something else. But the primary's over, at least our role in the primary. The Michigan GOP has to figure out the delegate, the, the remaining distribution of delegates through the caucus this weekend. But I I think that when you look at these numbers from this primary, it is, I don't, I don't see a path for Nikki Haley. I don't see a situation where Nikki Haley is going to be able to win a state, not one state. I don't see it. I don't see how she can win one state during super Tuesday or following. I'm not really sure she's going to be solvent to have super Tuesday. I'm not really sure she's she's got enough cash now, but she she's continuing to trudge on. She lost to Donald Trump last night in the Michigan primary by 40 points. 
40 plus. On the Democratic side of things, Joe Biden, of course, wins, picks up 115 delegates, but 101,000 people voted uncommitted. And, and that to me is troubling when you consider the fact that we are, you know, about to enter March. The fact that there are 100,000 people who once voted for Joe Biden that that didn't or won't or aren't or are considering not. That is a it's a it's a huge problem. And I know there's been talks about a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. I know there's been talks of something being relatively permanent. I guess for me, you know, you, you look at what's happening there and. Up until October 7th, there was a permanent ceasefire in place. And up until the last flare-up, there was a ceasefire in place before that. And how far back do you want to go? The reality is this is is kind of par for the course. And that's not excusing it. It's 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 not promoting it. It's the reality. The reality of the situation is this is a very old conflict. This is a very old war. It has to do with land and religious places. It's very old. So the the, the thought of this being the end-all, be-all, this being the ceasefire that really puts this to bed, I just, it, that's not reality to me. Until the next October 7th. Until the next time when, when you know, it, Terrorists carry out an attack. So, you know, that that's not really my my logic. It's not really my purview. It's not the way I look at it. But there are people that are just asking the president to support a long-lasting permanent ceasefire, which puts the president in a tough spot because Israel is one of our most important allies. And... And the president has to make sure that the United States stands with Israel, that the United States stands on Israel's team. So it, it is a precarious situation. Uh, it, it's not a it's not a position I would want to be in or choose. But you are the president. You you ran. You won. And this is your job. And you have to deal with people. And and your constituents people you represent, you have to deal with them and and try to find a way to appease everybody, which, of course, is very difficult. It's it's borderline impossible. And in a state where Joe Biden won by 150,000 votes in 2020, when you've got 100,000 people that voted uncommitted yesterday, it is a problem. It's a problem. It puts the president between a rock and a hard place because he can't break his stance with Israel, but he has to try and and again, this is where it's political. This is where this is where to me it's political that the president has to try to sway these voters back in his direction. Will he be successful? I guess is is the real question. Is he going to be able to turn around those hundred thousand people? Because in a lot of interviews that I've seen with them or 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 things that I've heard from people, that no, they're out. That's it. They're done. They're not coming back. Whatever you do, that's it. And if that's the case, then you've got the next however many months to try to keep 50,000 people 
on 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 your ship on board. And look, I'm not it's not a direct apples to apples correlation between what happened in 2020. I don't think that Joe Biden will win by 150,000 votes just because he did four years ago. But the reality is that was the margin. And if that was the margin and you already have cut into two thirds of it, your wiggle room is very small. And it's why I think the 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 campaign realizes that it's an issue. It's why I think the White House realizes that it's an issue. And it's it's one of the reasons why I think they're going to they're going to be spending a lot of time in Michigan. When I told you earlier that the, that Michigan is probably going to be the epicenter of the political universe, it's because it it will be. I don't know that there is necessarily a path if if you don't win Michigan. I think Michigan is going to be the swing state in this election. But 100,000 people voting uncommitted, that that's it's a bit of an issue for the president. Got to take a break. We're talking Red Wings hockey with Steve Courtney next on JR Afternoon. Six in a row. How about them Red Wings? It's a fun look. I, I, I know that they've probably flown under the radar a little bit. We had a lot of attention on the football team in town. Oh, yeah. and, uh, but, but certainly uh, they're a fun team to watch. Can I take care of some business real quick, Stephen? You take care of some business. Right. Then I will take care I of some love, business. Let's and, then we'll and then we'll chat. And then we'll chat. And we'll chat. Uh, two tickets to Jim Gaffigan. He's coming November 22nd uh, at the Fox Theater. Caller number 9, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Uh, Gaffigan bringing his Barely Alive tour to Detroit's Fox Theater. November 22nd, it's a Friday for a bonus chance to win. Text the keyword FUNNY to 800-859-0957. Official rules at WJR.com. Tickets on sale at 10 o'clock this Friday, March 1st at Ticketmaster.com. Uh, all right. Let's take care of business and talk some hockey. Looking forward to it. This conversation brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Yes, the winged wheelers are stacking some W's. More on that in just a bit. My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each and every day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their TrueView inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. So the winged wheelers in the latest episode hosting Alex Ovechkin and those Washington Capitals last night at LCA. Oh, they were extremely rude hosts. Red Wings win it 8-3. to First six-game winning streak in nearly five years. Oh, and by the way, the uh, Winged Wheelers' first eight-goal performance since 2017. How about Capitals head coach uh, Spencer Carberry? This is what he had to say about the Winged Wheelers. They're as good as any team in the National Hockey League. How about that? Uh, there was uh, goals galore, obviously. JT Comfer, as a matter of fact, short-handed goal in the second period. That put the Red Wings up 5-2 at the time. Uh, then they didn't let up in the third. That's the way you're supposed to do it. Robbie Fabry, Alex DeBrinkett, and Dylan Larkin scoring in that third period. Alex Lyon, by the way, what a story. Finished with 18 saves for the Red Wings. You know, here's a dude that began the campaign as the third-string netminder. Here's what he's done. 28 games played, uh, 18-8-2 record. Goals against of 2.69, save percentage, Chris, of 91%. That is pretty, pretty good. Uh, Their last uh, six-game run, in case you're wondering, 
was March 23rd, 2019 to April 2nd of that year. That was one of the uh, seven straight seasons to end without a postseason game. Uh, the Red Wings, as it stands right now, lead the Eastern Conference's wildcard standings and the franchise's fans uh, on hand last night. Aiden Hutchinson. How about Hutch that? was there last night. I guess slamming a beer. Good for him. Uh, let's take a quick look at the standings, shall we? Because it's rather significant. Uh, the Red Wings right now, 72 points. They are currently fourth in the very competitive Atlantic Division in the Eastern Conference. But know this. They are now just two points in back of the Toronto Maple Laughs. Uh, the Red Wings, by the way, will be shooting for their first seven-game win streak since January of 2012 when they host the New York Islanders tomorrow night at LCA. By the way, in case you're wondering, uh, I find this to be very interesting. The NHL trade deadline is 3 o'clock on March 8th, so it's right around the corner. And if you're Red Wings general manager Stevie Eiserman, the uh, whole Iser plan is coming to fruition. And there were many that were raising an eyebrow because uh, it just seemed as though this process was taking a while. Uh, it is in full effect right now. going to be interesting to see uh, what El Capitan does at that trade deadline. This team has got tremendous chemistry. And I just don't throw that word around willy-nilly in sport. Uh, but this team uh, really gets along. Well, and you need it in hockey uh, more than than some other sports. Now, I know that the 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 Debrinket signing was great. That was a kind of a no-brainer. The Kane signing equally good. You 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 bring those guys back together after their successful stint in Chicago. Oh yeah. It made a lot of sense. But you look at guys like Daniel Sprong, TJ Comfer, Alex Lyon who has played a big role recently between the pipes. Shane Goss despair. They are the, the, some of these under the radar signings that they that Steve Eiserman made during the offseason. I don't know which is better because I saw a stat that said the, that the Red Wings were one of the highest teams in the NHL in team scoring, which means it's not just Dylan Larkin, it's not just Alex DeBrink. No, it's- it's up pretty everybody. good. Everybody, yeah. everybody's getting involved, and and that tells you that not only is Steve Eiserman identifying talent, he's identifying talent at a cheaper rate, and the 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 uh, the ability to identify that chemistry, it all has to be right. And so far, over the last you know couple of months here, things have been good. It just seems as though everybody that uh, Eiserman brought in uh, making a contribution, which. Sometimes doesn't happen, but you bring no. up Gostaspair. Had a couple of goals last night. He's got nine to go along with 29 helpers, 38 points. Look at it, uh, JT Comfer. 15 goals, 21 assists, 36 points. Uh, you bring aboard Patrick Kane, the crafty veteran. Uh, 12 goals, 18 assists. Uh, that's 30 points, and he's played 28 games. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you're getting uh, some help, and it just seems as though there's a uh, new star each and every game. Mm-hmm. Now, again, in our conversation with head coach Derek Lalone on the album show last week, um, some head coaches, when asked, are you thinking about the playoffs, especially when you're in charge of a franchise that's been on the outside looking in seven years right now? He said, absolutely, we're talking Good. about the playoffs. But, you know, I think we discussed it uh, in our Red Wing conversation last week, Chris. You know, in, with this Red Wing team, uh, you're looking at a at an organization 
for our Canadian friends over there. Um, that they're not looking just to get into the postseason. They want to be a factor in the playoffs. And uh, like the fine head coach of the Capitals himself said, uh, Spencer Carberry, this team, as it stands right now, can uh, play with any team in the league. A lot of fun to watch, man. Look, you can't uh, get to the dance till you, you you can't do the dance till you get there, right? You got to get there. And this, you know, what's fun about this thing is <laughs> turn his mic off. You could have got a better analogy. You can't get to the dance till you get there. You can't get to the dance till you get there. <laughs> oh, theoretically, rather I mean, I pro all, Shakespeare could have gave better pro today. All, I think that's all accurate, at well, least. I thought you were gonna say you couldn't go to the dance. You got to go to the dance who brought you or something, you know, up there. But just. They just roll off the tongue today, don't they? They do. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> Look at them calling you yeah. out. That's okay. I don't care for that. That's all right. You know what? That's that's a sign. I just take We're it as solid. a sign. Yeah. We are solid. You were yeah, just we trying are. to use a dance metaphor. I just look, I just want to dance a little. Okay. What's the issue? Aren't you excited that we actually have teams that are actually winning? Yes. I mean, a little any bit of a sport. turnaround. Yeah. Tigers yeah. might be a little better. Tigers! It's taking a while. Just the so, Pistons. Yeah, the nice. Pistons are the dreads. Yeah, uh, good luck with that. Ooh. All right. Uh, that's going to do it. We'll see you tomorrow. Mitch Alman, the crew, coming up next. Have a good one.